Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 810 with Amy Mills. My dad would say and tell me lots of stories. He woke up to the smell of smoke. And when he did, it would be a good day because he knew his dad was going to be barbecuing that night. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness. To learn more, visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. A lot of people are talking about Restaurant 365, and that's probably because they are the only cloud-based, all-in-one restaurant management software with restaurant-specific accounting, inventory, scheduling, and payroll plus HR. Restaurant 365 is perfect for the multi-location restaurant business. Their customers have seen 5% decrease in food and beverage costs because they have access to more actionable data. Restaurant 365 is the king of integrations with over 90 integrations with the POS, including hundreds of vendors and thousands of banks. So you have a truly connected system. No more man out of multiple systems. Lastly, Restaurant 365 empowers your management team with real-time P&L with access to check-level detail. No more waiting on your accounting teams for P&Ls weeks later. To learn more, head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable. And if you use that link, you will save 50% off your first month. Does your hospitality extend beyond the four walls of your business? Well, if it doesn't, it could with Ovation. So what is Ovation? Ovation is an omni-channel two-question survey that gets happy guests to leave positive reviews and unhappy guests to chat instantly with you or your team to resolve the issue in real time before they leave a bad review or they never come back. And with this channel of communication, you can easily see trends of what is driving positive and negative experiences. Not only does it improve your communication and your relationship with your guest, it also is a tool to drive revenue. You can drive revenue with third to first party ordering conversion. You can drive revenue with a rainy day text blast. You can also drive revenue when your guests automatically download your loyalty app. To learn more, head over to www.ovationup.com slash unstoppable. And when you use your link, you can get 2000 free text messages to help you start getting more feedback, reviews, and revenue. Again, that's ovationup.com slash unstoppable. What's going on, Unstoppables? Today, we're talking to Amy Mills, but before I let you know what we got going on, just a quick reminder that the show needs your support. So if you are listening to the show and you're finding value, please share this sucker with everybody and anybody you know who's aspiring to be great 
in the industry. The mission of this podcast is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. We won't be able to transform it unless people know about this thing. So spread the word. Also, use our sponsors and use our links. Those few things you can do right there will go a long way. So like I mentioned, today we're talking to Amy Mills. Amy is the daughter of a legendary barbecue pitmaster Mike Mills, and uh, she came onto my radar by way of Zach Oates, who told me I had to get her on the show, and I know why, because she is a marketing and branding pro. Uh, she helped take 17th Street Barbecue into the 21st century, and uh, she helped co-author her dad's recipes with uh, the Peace, Love, and Barbecue book, and also the Praise of the Lard book and uh she helped take her dad's knowledge and created on cue consulting she's really helped take this thing into the 21st century and we get into the details of how she did that in today's episode so i hope you enjoy it here it is with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest owner of 217 street barbecue locations the warehouse event center on cue consulting and co-author of Peace, love, and barbecue, and praise the Lord, Amy Mills. Amy, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling so unstoppable. We say here, just try and stop us. I love that, and I feel unstoppable because just before the recording, you took me on a tour around this facility, and there's so many questions I have, so many things I want to ask you that I was just chomping at the bit, having discipline, not asking them yet. This is going to be a good interview. I, I really... I'm confident. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) Let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Well, we have so many mantras here and we're famous for our Sunday sermons. I don't know if you noticed those driving up or on our Instagram, but we share words of inspiration every week. But really the overarching mantra or inspiration at 17th Street is generosity is a recipe for success. Yes, generosity is a recipe for success. And when I hear the word generosity, I know what I think, but what words, what other words come to your mind when you hear generosity? When I hear the word generosity, I think about other people and mm. I think about having that servant heart, which you must have to be successful yes. in the hospitality world. But I also think about being a good corporate citizen and being a good community citizen, yeah. being a good employer. Uh, it really filters through the, the lens filters through the lens of everything we do. Yeah. And the word that came to my mind is hospitality. When you think of what hospitality is, it's warmth, it's generosity, it's giving, it's caring. It's all of that. And um, the legacy you guys have built here in Southern Illinois is amazing. So I'm really excited to share your story uh, of hospitality and just the, the incredible stuff you guys have done. But let's get, let's just start by asking like, where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Were you working in restaurants before working with your dad or what, just take us on a path of where you were and how you found yourself here. Sure. First, I want to say welcome to 17th Street. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know you've driven way out of your way. When you told me you were going through Chicago, I just needed to tell you that we are a good seven <laughs> hours south of Chicago. I was so, aware. <laughs> <laughs> we are honored that you, sp- you are spending an afternoon with us here, and we just really appreciate yeah. the opportunity to talk about what we do. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the question was, did I work in the business? And no, I did not. Okay. I ran far and fast from this business. I went away to journalism school at Mizzou, University okay. of Missouri. And I moved to Boston, 
and really lived my adult life doing marketing and PR and advertising for a variety of companies. But my dad would call and say, hey, I need a logo for this, or can you write me an ad for that? There would always be some little something I was helping along. The family business. Exactly, on the side. But really, I was very, very busy in corporate jobs that had no vacation time or very little vacation time, and I was there you know, all the time. So, so you said folks mostly on journals or marketing was your, your niche. Yes. So specifically what world of marketing, what, what, like paint the well, picture of the work you're doing. So I worked in the retail world. I worked for, uh, J. Jill for Talbots. I worked for State Street Research, which is a mutual funds company. And I always did the marketing PR and corporate communications for those yeah. companies. I also very briefly for a year lived in Dallas and okay. I worked at Tracy Locke Advertising. Okay. Coincidentally on the Pepsi fountain beverage business. Um, so that was kind of interesting. This has me super excited because I feel like if you're going to open a restaurant, so many people will, I mean, you, so many people just open a restaurant because they love the thing, they're doing the thing, right? But there's so many other things you need to be good at. And if you have a good publicist, if you're good at marketing, that can be such a game changer. So I'm curious. I think it will come out as the story evolves of, of how you looked at your, your dad's restaurant when you weren't working here. And if you were influencing at that point or if it, when you came on in 2000, if you really started or was it 2010. It was 2000. 2000, that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, if, if you kind of like, you know, took the bull by the horns and took over that department, because you guys are well represented. And I'm just kind of curious of, of how much influence you had on that. I'm sure it's huge. But I feel like maybe <laughs> wait on that, because I feel okay. like first it makes sense to tell the history of 17th Street, uh, because it started with your father. I mean, exactly. And barbecue goes even further back to your great grandfather, correct? Yes. Yeah. So my family has been in barbecue forever. Yeah. My dad would say and tell me lots of stories. He woke up to the smell of smoke. And when he did, it would be a good day because he knew his dad was going to be barbecuing that night. My family had a barbecue sauce recipe. And my grandfather's dream was to leave his job selling soap suds and cigarettes for the Palmolive Pete Company and bottle and market this barbecue sauce. Sadly, he died when my dad was seven. Mm. So my dad is one of five children, and there's quite an age span. Um, from 19, when, he, when my grandfather died, the oldest child was 19, and the youngest was six months old. Wow. My grandmother even had a grandchild the same age as her six-month-old, which is crazy. kind of crazy. That is crazy. My two older uncles actually ran a barbecue stand at the town pool in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. So my whole my family has been involved in barbecue yeah. forever. And my, your, your grandmother, correct me if I'm wrong, took that recipe right, and she kind of like fulfilled your grandfather's dream. Exactly, you know? yeah. she would make the sauce and sell it to neighbors and friends. My dad built barbecue pits out of 55 gallon barrels when he was in high school to make money. Even though he was a dental technician by trade, he actually was in the first class of dental technology students at Southern Illinois University. And he, until the fall of 2019, still had a dental lab in Murfreesboro that made dental, that made crowns and dental prosthetics for local dentists. He always was cooking up there and people would say, Hey, would I'll get the meat? Would you barbecue for my class reunion or for my family party? He even had a different bar, um, different from the one we're sitting in now, in the mid-70s until he bought this bar and grill. 
And he would barbecue and have fish fries and give the food away so that people would come and buy more booze. Yeah, that's where your margins are. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's cool. Um, so at what point did he say, let's go all in on barbecue? And was he practicing uh, as a dentist while running yes. uh, 17? That's crazy. Yes, he that. was. He yeah. was. So, and, you know, his friends would all meet here in the morning or at the former place. They would meet for coffee and all have coffee before they went off to work. And then they would gather again after work and have their beer before they went home. It really was a place for him to entertain his friends more than anything. Yeah. He did, never did any of this to really make money. But <laughs> it I was feel more... like, yeah, but I feel like when you do it for those reasons, obviously we need to make money to have the lifeblood to run the business and to create opportunity. But when you do it for the right reasons, because you love bringing people together over something that's shared, uh, food is just an incredible way to bring people together. But when you do it for those reasons, it almost always goes further. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, this is, he would always say like the plan was there was no plan yeah. <laughs> and it just evolved into the, something incredibly special. But when he bought this building where we're sitting right now, 17th street barbecue, this, uh, we were the fourth owners of this building. Okay. And from the beginning, in the early 1900s, there had been a barbecue sandwich and a hamburger served. But it was a bar, and only men came here. And I didn't point out on the side of the building, but I want to show you before we go, there was a drive through I saw that. So it's just a window with the doorbell, a, ho- a home doorbell. There's no menu. There is a menu now. We finally put up a yeah. menu. But there's no intercom. You have to pull up and ring the doorbell. And you had to, you used to have to know what you wanted. And when I was little, you know, women and children would, did not come in this under previous owners. But you could pull up through the drive-thru. And it was a big treat if your mom brought home a bag of barbecues or hamburgers nice. from Alan Ray's is yeah. what it was called. And your dad took over in 1985, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so when he took over, was it... A little bit more intentional than the first time because I mean, I feel like the, the first restaurant was about, or the, it was a bar. It wasn't so much about the food; it was about the, right. the alcohol sales. What was different about this location? So this location, there was a woman named Betty yep. who made those hamburgers, and Betty was here for a long time, probably okay. ten or fifteen years. She was still alive and still making those hamburgers every day. The flat top was really kind of right at the end of this bar, so eventually he did build a kitchen. And he added more food. And it was a lot of home-cooked, just sort of family food. And he would barbecue a few days a week. And barbecue was sort of the special. Yeah. Um, He would just pull his pit right up here in the parking lot and barbecue until it was sold out. Okay. In the late 80s, a friend of his here in town named Rob Williams had had gone to Carruthersville, Missouri, and he knew about these barbecue contests that he saw and he got together with my dad and a few other people and said we should start this in Murfreesboro and they were thinking yes this would be great always very civic minded what can we do to bring more commerce and more people to town yeah so they started this barbecue contest and they very quickly figured out that they should have a team so that they would go around and compete. They would meet other teams and they would get them to come to Murfreesboro. Wow. Because remember, there's no internet. Yeah. Everything is being done by mail and um, telephone. And there was a monthly publication called the National Barbecue News. So you could put your event okay. in there. But it was a pretty limited audience. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, People needed to know where these contests were so they could plan their trips. Today, there are 
50 contests every weekend all over the country. Yeah. But it was not like it that no, no. at this time. So very quickly, they started winning these barbecue contests very quickly. And their fifth contest in December in Demopolis, Alabama, got them an entry into Memphis in May, which is the World yeah. Championship Barbecue Cooking Contest. Exactly. Yeah. Now you don't have to win your way in, but you used to have to win a grand champion okay. in order to then be invited Qualified, to cook yeah. there. Exactly. So they went to Memphis in May and had no idea, you know, really felt a little fish out of water. And they thought, well, there are, you know, 250 teams here. If we just got in the top 75, we wouldn't be too embarrassed by yeah. that. And there is such a great story. Uh, if you ever see pictures of my dad, he's wearing this medallion. But he... Is it posted on the walls here? That picture? No, but it's in my office. Okay. I'll show it to you in my yeah, office. Yeah, I'll, I'll it's really special. It. Thank you. But he, you had to take a five-gallon bucket and walk and get some water. There was no water at your campsite. And he sat down on a log to rest for a minute. And a gentleman came, da- came and sat down next to him. And they struck up a conversation and this man's name was Joe Phelps, and he happened to be, he and his wife, the publishers of the National Barbecue News. Okay. And they also had these shoppers that were like coupon newspapers that were given away all over South Georgia, but they also ran this barbecue newspaper. And he heard my dad's story, and he said, well, you're probably not going to do very well, but I'm going to give you this coin because um, you know, I don't want you to go home empty-handed. And it was a silver coin. Um, the silver came, he mined the negatives from the newspaper. The old black and white negatives would have silver in them. Okay. And then he would have these coins made, and he would give them to people. And he said, I don't want you, know, don't want you to go home empty-handed. So they won the contest. They got the first um, perfect score ever. That's crazy. They won first place in ribs, and then the grand overall. And that man came and said, oh, my, you know, gosh, they became fast friends. But my dad took that coin home and mounted it in gold and wore it every single day so cool. for the rest of his life. I love that yes. story. Uh, but one thing I really do love about your dad and just like the entrepreneurial side of him, you can hear it coming out in the story of just knowing that you got to bring people together. you gotta, you got to promote yourself. you got to be involved in just having the intuition to know that, hey, like if we want to promote what we're doing here, we need to go out to other places, network. Work, develop relationships, and it's all about relationships. Everything and it's all is about, about collaboration. Yeah, business yes. is about relationships. That's all this is about is about relationships and collaboration and helping each other out. And he knew that from a very early age or a very early time in his restaurateur career. Do you want to reflect on that a little bit more or just reinforce it? Sure. I think everything. My dad was so intuitive. He just knew. He knew how to market. He knew how to bring people together. He's so charismatic. People are just naturally drawn to him. And it, but in turn, he's so generous and so giving. And so, you know, for him, giving up every weekend, um, you know, doing all the things that you need to do to make all of that successful, he di- it didn't. He didn't care. Like he, the, that was what he was driven to be a success and driven to do those things. Yeah. Reflecting back at your dad, um, watching him do his thing. I mean, what are some of the other stuff that you can that came out observing him as far as what made him successful? Like if I was interviewing him right now, what things would he be teaching me? Well, my dad, it was very humble and never ever, um, 
you know, he did not brag on himself very much. Yeah. I think obviously his actions spoke very loudly for him, but he would talk a lot about generosity, mm. bringing people together. You have to give in order to receive. Yeah. You it, and really everything that you do to shine a light on Southern Illinois and on this town, it comes back to us, but it also comes back to many other people. Mm -hmm. So he knew that having this contest meant people would come and stay in the hotel. They would buy a tank of gas. They would go to the grocery store to buy some ingredients they needed. I did an economic impact study once using this formula and I would love, I need to do this again because I think it's so powerful, but just thinking about the number of teams who come, where they're from, what they do while they're here, there is a formula that you can use to multiply. But, you know, 10 years ago, it was like a $1.375 million impact this little weekend had yeah. on our town. And I'm obviously, it has snowballed since then. But that is huge. That is huge. That's incredible. It's huge. Yeah. And it, it was such a bummer last year when we had to cancel the contest. People were, you know, really hoping that we wouldn't do that. And this year... Already, people are signing up. They're so excited about coming back. Exactly. But they know that it's just a a special event. It's a special place. They feel like home. And that has um, translated into our restaurant as well. We want people to come in here and feel like they are a local, like they are a regular. That's how I felt when I watched it. They're greeted warmly. It's so special to come in and sit at that bar and... Like, sit in these hallowed walls. You can't build a place like this today. Our other restaurant is brand new and very nice, and it's awesome, but there's something special yeah. about the joint. This place has charm, for yes. sure. There's tons of B-roll. If you guys want to see what we're talking about, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, because there is B-roll, and we'll show all of that. Uh, so I'm curious. Was your dad was part of the reason to go compete in this competition? I mean, you said that he, he they would been happy they got 75 place right um but was there some kind of in the back of their mind like if we can rank high then we can use that to market our business absolutely absolutely and but honestly i'm sure they were very much just not wanting to embarrass themselves at the beginning but of course this this gave them 200 new people they didn't know to market themselves one thing i know that's unique is that your dad was using a lot of family tradition so was there a unique selling proposition to his his approach to barbecue that was a lot different than other people who were maybe were in the circuit that were just trying to like do like maybe something a little bit different and then your dad came in with no preconception of what right was maybe because he was just doing what was right to him which is what his dad taught him what I'm getting at was was there a unique selling proposition that really separated them Absolutely what was I it? love that question and the way you framed that Thank you So this town is surrounded by apple and peach orchards, and its nickname is Apple City. Okay. And his team was named Apple City Barbecue, and they used apple trimmings from the orchards that they got for free. Now we have to buy all the apple wood that we use, but people were not smoking with apple wood. They were smoking with pecan and hickory and other woods, but not apple wood. Now we've created this whole market for people because if these people are winning... That's what other people are going to use. Yep. They're going to start using that apple wood. And every shirt, he has a uniform, and you can see it um, the back of some of these shirts that he's, I can, sh- I can point out that white one up there, and yep. you see that little Apple City man on the back of it. Um, you know, when they stopped competing, because they, 
he will often say, like, I don't know where I got all that money to compete. It's very expensive to be in these oh, contests. And he looks at the at the trophies and he's like, one, one thousand, two, one thousand. <laughs> like, how did, where did this money come from? But at one point, they really decided we are going to go out on top because there's always a cycle to yeah. winning and you might as well go out after you've won and broken every record. But he wanted to continue and promote and um, take advantage of the success. And so this became the home of Apple City Barbecue and the barbecue started being served every day. Yeah, I think the, the one of the big lessons to take from that is don't feel like you have to do what everybody else that's successful is doing to be successful. As a matter of fact, if you can break out and do something that's truly unique, that might get you there much faster. And just don't be afraid to do your own thing. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I, th- I think that's a huge lesson. And uh, just to go for it. Right. Just to take risks and just get out there and, and to network and to promote all huge lessons. So at what point? Because in 1992, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think it was 1992. That was what, what year was it when he won the grand champion? Was that that 90, 92 and 94? OK. So when did things really start to take off for business here? Was it around that time I started winning? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I guess what was the evolution of 17th Street Barbecue before you got on scene? Well, he likes to say, and I will give full credit, you know, I was doing okay before you came back. Um, (laughs) He had already been in Vogue magazine, probably the first, I know for a fact, the first barbecuer to be written about in Vogue. And he actually, this is such a great story. And Jeffrey Steingarten wrote about it in his book, The Man Who Ate Everything. But he, Jeffrey was a judge at Memphis in May, and he judged three fabulous teams, and he could not believe one of his teams didn't win because he thought yeah. they were all so good. Yeah. And so he came to my dad's booth wanting to taste what won. Well, when you win, everyone descends upon you and eats yeah. your food, and there was nothing to show Jeffrey. And my dad said, well, I'll mail you something. Yeah. So he writes about the fact that He's in his white bathrobe, and this FedEx package is delivered, and he sits down and warms up these ribs and eats them, and he thought, if, you know, if they tasted like this, what must they have tasted like right off the pit yeah. during this, and how wonderful they were. And there's a really cute story oh, right after that came out. A man named George Went, who played on Cheers, George yes. on Cheers. The mailman, right? The mailman. Yep. He was in an airport in Memphis reading Vogue magazine and he called here and said, you know, how do I get some of these ribs that I'm reading about? And my dad didn't even know this article had been published and it was in August when our DuCoin State Fair it was happening, which is about 20 miles from here and we have a stand there and he was there nonstop and finally one day he came in during the fair and somebody said, this guy just keeps calling and calling. And so my dad spoke to him and said, you know, as soon as this fair is over, I'll send you some barbecue. And I just have two requests. You have to call me and tell me how you like them. And if you are ever in Southern Illinois, I need you to come and have a drink at our bar. He is from the Chicago area. He's not been here, but it was such a great story. And I did write about that in peace, love and barbecue. And I had to get in touch with him to make sure I was telling the story properly and, Periodically, we do still send ribs to George Wind. I love it. It's a great story, yes. Yeah, so I, I guess I, what I want to know as far as, I mean, we covered a lot of things of, of what your dad was doing right hospitality, getting involved, being unique. Uh, when you came on, like, when, take us through now, like, your entry into getting more involved with the family business sure. and how you first started being involved. Okay. So, as I said, my dad is a born marketer. 
Um, he was already had been on Good Morning America. Bill Clinton had been here visiting. Yeah. He already had top security clearance to board Air Force One. You know, lots of good things happened because he knew how to make those things happen and how to capitalize. Well, actually, let's lean into that just a little okay. bit more. So what exactly, if you could summarize like two or three sentences, what it was your Dow was doing to get these opportunities? Was it just the generosity? Was it just being willing to send something in the mail and to like start that dialogue? Or to, like, what, was, what was his approach to getting people to know about him? Aside from winning a massive tournament or, or competitions, you know? Well, honestly, he had no idea who Jeffrey Steingarten was. And none of this was calculated, and I think therein lies the charm, probably. Yeah. All those things just happened. He happened to be in the right place at the right time with a superior product. Got it. And, and then following through. You always have to follow through. Mm. So I think the follow through... Is as important as being there, yeah, for thank, sure. Thank and, you for indulging me and developing that, yeah. and developing that um, because he didn't know he yeah. didn't know any of those things, but definitely the publicity for the team went a long way. Yeah. You know, that's why they were on Good Morning America. All, all when those things happened, they always said yes. They were always ready to go, and you know, you just don't turn down any press opportunities yeah. because again, it's shining that spotlight on. The town. It's not only shining it here, but you were saying we are in Southern Illinois. We have all of these opportunities here. His hope always was that somebody who came here to cook barbecue would have a company because these people all have day jobs. And that person would think, wow, this is a really nice little town. I might move my company there or wow. start a new company there. Yeah. And that has not happened yet, unfortunately. And we are going to be 33 years into the yeah. contest. But that's not to say it won't. But I think this is another good example of the responsibility of business owners. I think that you, people don't realize that when you go into business that you instantly are become obligated to give back to that community. Absolutely. Whether it's giving back to your staff, but ultimately you're there to serve your community. To And if you, when you make it about the bigger picture, the greater picture... I think that just is how some of these things just come to you because you're when you when you like your dad says you get to give before you get right right and it seems like he was always looking out for the the, the greater good always I love that. always yeah always always and it and then you're not even doing it because you know it will come back come it coming back as a byproduct yeah you of can't that. Track you're it. doing it because it's the right thing to do exactly I love that so okay back to the the question I asked about you and, and you actually getting involved but now is actually a really good time to think a uh, take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back have you heard of ovation so let me tell you about how I heard about ovation I was on a search to find answers about SMS best practices and organically like four or five of the experts in my network were like, you got to talk to Zach Oates from ovation. He is the SMS king. So naturally I got Zach Oates on the show to talk about SMS marketing in that time between first having him be mentioned or come onto my radar to the time we had him on the show, tons of people were recommending Ovation. Even restaurantowner.com, one of my past sponsors in a company I have a lot of respect for, did a survey and Ovation was the number one guest feedback platform. So naturally, I'm here to learn more. Uh, so we had Ovation on the show. And if you're not familiar with Ovation, 
Ovation is an omni-channel two-question survey that gets happy guests to leave positive reviews and unhappy guests to chat with either you or a team member to resolve the issue in real time before they leave a bad review online or never come back to your restaurant. With this new channel of communication, you can easily see trends of what is driving positive and negative experiences in your restaurant. Not only does it improve your communication in your relationship with your guests, it also helps Helps you drive revenue. You can drive revenue with third to first party ordering conversion. You can drive revenue with rainy day text message blasts. And you can even drive revenue when getting your guests to automatically download your loyalty app. To learn more, head over to ovationup.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you will be able to claim $2,000 worth of free text messages to help you get started with more feedback, reviews, and revenue. Again, that is www.ovationup.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and now I really want to start diving into you and your it factors, your strengths, your influence on bringing 17th Street Barbecue to where it is today, and all the other things you guys got going on, uh, the evolution since you've been on scene. So that you came on scene in 2000. Yes. Were you just done with through past life, or the marketing, the the journalism, the all that stuff? Is that just behind you? No. I was living in Boston or outside Boston in Hingham, Massachusetts, and I was newly divorced. I had left that world to run a consulting company I had teaching corporate communication skills, business communication skills, and corporate etiquette and protocol to companies. And I was yearning for home. I was beginning to spend more time here in Southern Illinois. And I came for a visit once, and my dad handed me this little post-it note. And he said, you know, could you return this call for me? And so I did, and it happened to be a woman who was writing for Martha Stewart Living Magazine, and she was writing about mail-order barbecue. And she said, oh, thanks for calling me back, but I called three weeks ago, and the story is already written. Uh, And my dad will always return every phone call, but it might take a little bit because... Yeah. You know, he didn't have an assistant. He didn't have someone to do that. And so I said, Daddy, oh my gosh, we missed this great opportunity. Uh, and of course, he has no idea who Martha Stewart was or <laughs> Martha Stewart Living Magazine. But we missed this great opportunity. Start giving me those little pieces of paper and I'll follow up. So I really just very naturally started helping, started okay. doing things. And at that time, he had started working with Danny Meyer. Michael Romano and Kenny Callahan from Blue Smoke. This is 2000. This is 2000. uh, Starting to think about that restaurant. So I would fly in when they were coming here to cook and to, um, you know, work on their recipes. And I would wash the dishes and just sit around and listen. And he would really be telling them not only how to cook, but also talking about the barbecue world. And I thought, you know, this is much more interesting to me now than it used to be. And these are stories that need to be captured. And I am going to write a book about this. And so I did. I wrote a book proposal. And I found it, went to New York and interviewed agents, got an agent, and sold Peace, Love, and Barbecue. And we went for about six months on some trips all over the country, visiting with barbecue friends and Basically, I would just ask a few questions and then let them talk. And I would come home and 
transcribe my little tapes and just craft that into (laughs) vignettes and stories. Exactly. And I knew how to do all of this because of my corporate background and because of my journalism degree. It was basically like producing catalogs. I took all the pictures for the book. Um, you know, I wrote the recipes. I tested the recipes. That part was new to me. But I knew that there was not a book out there like this that captured this little very yeah. special slice of Americana and that portrayed the barbecue people like they really are. I'm definitely going home with those books, by the way. I'm really well, excited. It would to be my up. pleasure to <laughs> send you home with some beautiful autographed books. Thank you. But Peace, Love, and Barbecue was published in May of 2005. And it continues to be a bestseller. There really isn't a book like that. That's incredible. Oh. I can't help you but be curious, just because the name, everybody who's listening to this, you, you hear the name Danny Meyer. It's probably one of the most recognizable names in the restaurant industry. With your time observing your dad working with Danny, are there any lessons to pick up from just that business interaction and how they did business and how they communicated and how they worked together? Is there anything that you learned from that? Oh, so many lessons and I'm not sure I can articulate (laughs) them all right off the top of my head but that was a real education in you know and a pulling back of the curtain in the New York world which I was really not that familiar with so I certainly was able to dine in a lot of Union at that time there was Gramercy Tavern Union Square Cafe and they were opening 11 Madison Park in Tabla so I got to experience those restaurants, but really kind of peek behind the iron curtain, so to say. But I really got to see a restaurant start from the beginning. Mm. And I didn't really see that here at 17th Street because our evolution was obviously very different yeah. from What are the big lessons that? that you think you garnered watching that, being a fly on the wall for that experience? I think learning about structure because we didn't have a lot of structure here. It was a little, yeah. everything was a little loosey goosey yeah. learning about structure, learning about training, um, thinking about being more intentional in hiring and that, that type of person that you're looking for. Uh, we were actually have been always pretty good at hiring, but I never um, knew the word to give it. Like I didn't know we were looking for those emotional, the emotional quotient versus the intelligent. Yeah. 51 percenter. Exactly. I didn't, I feel like we were doing that, but not, I didn't know the language to use around that. I think Danny created a lot of this language. Absolutely. Nobody, there weren't words. Exactly. So he he just put words to it just to make it comprehensible. Exactly. Uh, And they started with his team and he just shared that with the world. Uh, But you said structure. Can you give me an example of what that structure looked like? Well, you know, hiring for a restaurant and there are people who just answer the phones and take reservations. Yeah. There are people who just work the door. Yeah. Uh, so there rules. are account there are rules. There are it's not, you know, little we're a little fly by night sometimes. Everybody yeah. has four or five roles because yeah. we're not that big. Here's how you do everything in the restaurant. Exactly. Versus this is your this, this is your, your station. Exactly. Master the station. Exactly. This is your baby. Own this this part of it. And we still don't have that. Yeah. But it was interesting to me to see that that was a one way that you could yeah. do things. I mean, the cool thing about breaking your business up into stations is that you get to t- create training curriculum around those specific, like 
verticals. So then you can tr- you can bring somebody who's green and just teach them how to do one thing until they master that, and then you can teach them the next thing. Whereas if you throw somebody into a, a restaurant that's unorganized and you say well, you're hired, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's just so much it can be a little overwhelming. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Okay, 2000, you come on, your your focus is just really, at this point, helping your dad with PR, right? And yes. being that communications element. Uh, what about, from? so at this point, you're an expert in communication. What things did you do to improve your dad's operation with what you were best at, communication? Well, definitely answering media requests yeah. and getting great press. Yeah. Um, we really, be, I think we really mastered that. Yeah. Being available um, later as digital cameras, you know, in 2000, you didn't really even have a digital camera. I shot that first book, all these pictures you see on the wall. That was, that was the last project I did with film. Yeah. And then it became a digital camera. So once you start having um, more access to other tools, building a photo library, you know, Today, if a reporter wants is doing a story, they want photography. Yeah. I have a bank of beautiful Media photography camera. to yeah. send that person. So really just gathering assets and having those assets available. So that's a lesson right there. Um, have a, a folder on your desktop that is just assets of your story, photos, videos, whatever. Most people don't even have that stuff. All the things. Yeah. You need all the things. Yeah. and. You know, before I had it digitally, I can remember going to Staples and making dozens and dozens of photocopies of every article we'd been in. And here's and I bought folders and taped the business cards to them and yeah. filled them up with all of those. And people would call and I would immediately FedEx out one of these media kits. Yeah, so well, now you can have that all digitally. Yeah, so you're making it easy. So if you're going to make a path of least resistance for somebody and like they're looking to, to share a story and you hand them the story, they're going to be much more likely to push that because it's going to be a path of least resistance because the work's been done for them. And if there's a a level of authenticity, which you guys check that box, right? It just makes the job so much easier. You're, you're, resi- you're lowering resistance. Yes. I love that. Yes. I created a fact sheet that had all of the accolades and all, you know, great one liners and things that people could weave into their stories. So that didn't, you, you know, a reporter could look at that and have a quick interview and write a great story. Yeah. I love that. Beautiful. And you're giving them the words. So now your brand is going to have alignment across all these different mediums, right? That's, exactly. that's really important too. Um, looking back, reflecting over this past 20 years or so, give or take, uh, what, are, what have been the biggest evolutionary points in your mind as far as what's taken this brand and whether it be profitability, just volume or whatever it is, what are the, the big changes that have happened over the time? So, well, that's a great question. I think being in Vogue magazine and on Good Morning America in the early 90s, that, that is one level up. Yep. Step, that's a step up. Um, working with Danny Meyer and Blue Smoke. Well, and, and between that, uh, establishing a contest that developed a national reputation and that drew people to town. So then that happens. Then we go and work with Union Square Hospitality Group. Um, We write Peace, Love, and Barbecue. And a book really takes you to a whole new level, for sure. Uh, In between, we're leveling up 
in small ways every day. You know, we're starting to be more intentional about many, many things and hiring better and just having more systems. What what were the most important things you think, aside from people, the other things that you were like, this needs a little more intention? Uh, Getting a POS system. Yeah. Because... Systems in general. Yes, the systems in general, but but also accountability systems. Because if I only had all the money that's been stolen, (laughs) and when you write paper tickets... That's what yeah. happens. So the POS system is essentially a accountability system. Absolutely. But what are some of the other accountability systems that you guys put in? I'm really putting you on the spot. Here. You are. I didn't really <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, just even with labor management, I feel like being a little bit more intentional with accountability because that's it's not stealing, right? But if you're not managing your labor while you're, you're hemorrhaging money, is right. that something that you guys worked on no because i think that we've always have done a pretty good job of that really um you know systems i would say also communication okay so i'm very big on reading tons of articles and business books and i'm constantly emailing here's an article you should read everyone needs to read this article always with the links and you know and they they might be things about management they might be things about marketing they might be things about another restaurant or look what these people are doing or here's an idea it's it's pretty far reaching but i read all the time and so yeah. i'm constantly sharing that type of information with people but it's and then and that sort of goes then into staff development so we start having more staff meetings and we again it's just more about being intentional at for years we had one t-shirt that everybody who worked here wore. So I started getting into like more merchandise and things we could sell and people had more, um, more options of things to wear. Um, no. So like th- there are a lot of things I want to pull back layers on right now. So when you say staff development, p- paint the picture of where you were and what, where you are now. So what you just hired people that you had a good feeling about before. It kind of sounds like you just were instinctual about people, you right. and your dad. But where are you now? What's your hiring process look like now? Paint that picture. Well, I, I didn't really hire ever hire people. Okay. Um, in fact, I'm probably just now starting to hire people, okay. believe it or not. That has always been a function either in the restaurant. The restaurant managers are hiring people. Or my, my dad first hired the managers. And whatever he did way back when, yeah. I wasn't here, so I don't know gotcha. how he did all of that. Um. And then, but what's interesting about what he did is that a third of our staff has been here from nine to 22 years. And that is unheard of in the restaurant industry. And there are some who would still be here if things hadn't happened in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, people who have had to leave who had been here even longer. So that is pretty amazing. And it's not because we're the highest paid place by any stretch, because we know that restaurants are not huge salary makers or salary that restaurants don't have huge salaries, but we are a great place to work Mm -hmm. and people are really proud to work here. So he intuitively hired some good people. There were people who were not so good. And I, a friend of mine, Rick Schmidt, who has sadly passed away from Kreitz market. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned was from him. And he sat on the board of an electric company in Texas and he went to a conference and he heard this statistic and this has stuck with me for so long. You know within the first two weeks if someone is going to work out. But it often takes two years Ugh. to get rid of them. Yeah. And when I said that to my dad, I said, I feel like we're on the four-year program. <laughs> yeah. like, we know. So very quickly, we instituted a 30-day. Well, it's really 28 days. 
because after 30 days, you have to pay unemployment if you fire yep. somebody. So you're on probation for 28 days, and you're either going to make it or you're not going to make it. What and you the, know that right yeah. up front. What are the terms of that probation? The terms are you are going to be trained. You are going to do this job. You are going to form bonds with your coworkers. You're going to be a become a valuable part of our ecosystem, and you are going to be somebody that we're proud to put out as and proud to say this person works at 17th street. I love that. Uh, You're not going to be late. (laughs) Yeah. So just slowly starting to like create policy, right. And and like not super rigid, but some certain level of rigidity is important to to have lines, right. To say, this is the job done, right. This is the job done wrong. So that, that started to develop over time. I am really curious about your advice on, starting a book things that if my listeners are listening to this and they think they have an opportunity to create a book what are some of the things that you would what's your advice for that person sure there are so many more ways to publish a book now i went both times the very traditional big publisher route so i had an agent who represented my book that it went to auction it was purchased i had an editor Um, there was a very certain protocol for the way that went you don't have to do it that way now. You can self-publish a book. You can publish on demand. You can do all kinds of other things. To write a good book, I mean, that, those books became my life for a period of time. Um, that especially, praise the Lord, that is, there are tears on every page of that book. It was a really grueling process. And it requires so many more people than just you. I had to go over and over and over and over cooking procedures with my dad and other people who work in our kitchen. And I would then would test or try things that didn't work. And I would go back and then they'd be like, Oh, you didn't do this. Well, you didn't tell me to do, you know, (laughs) there were, it's, it was so detailed and it's, this is not a book that just says, you know, cook this at 225 degrees for until it's done. You know, I will say it should take about this time in one hour. Look for this in two hours. Look for that. There it's extremely detailed. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I did shoot the photography for the first book because it was really more about people and not about the food. But then, you know, to have a great book that has pictures of food, you need a good food photographer. And you need a food stylist. And you need to invest in those things. So the the really important elements, obviously, the the effectiveness of the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The ingredients, not the ingredients, but the instructions, the recipe, right? The mm-hmm. effectiveness of the recipe. And then because it's a book, it has to be visible, visible, visually pleasing. So you have to get an expert in there. Outsource for those things is what I'm hearing. Right. Yeah. But more than any of that, before you get into that, it is what is your story and why will people be interested mm. in this story? Why will people want to buy your book? What do we need to know about sharing our story? How do we share our story effectively? So sharing your story is everything. That is what brand building is all about. It's a developing story and the story changes and develops over time. But the story is the story of you and your company and why you're special and what you're doing and, you know, why should you care? It is, you know, we are storytellers. People in business are telling a story every day. Is there anything you know, like any, just like being a marketer, writing these books, being behind the brand, things you can do to make your your story hit harder? That is a very interesting question. I'm not sure I have an intelligent answer for that. 
the story has to be real and the story has to be authentic yeah. because people smell BS a mile away. Yeah, whatever story you tell is a story you have to live every day. Right. If you're not walking the talk, yep. it's so evident. Yep. And we've all seen it. We've seen people who say they're this, but over here they're really... Yeah. They say they're X, they're, over, they're really Y. Yeah. And it's not congruous. It's yeah. And you mentioned it has some, to be congruous. Yeah. You mentioned it and I was, I was hoping that you were going to go further in on what I thought the answer was going to be, which is why. Right, like what? Like people don't buy what you do. Right, it's they buy the why. why you do it. Exactly. And there's a whole book. Start with why. Simon Sinek. Yes, Sinefro. I love Simon Sinek. Yeah. So why is why is why so important? So the why is your reason for being. Yeah. And if you don't know the why and communicate it to your staff, the staff has to live the why mm-hmm. and know the why. Um, when you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah, and people, and you're not getting very deep, yeah. and you're not getting people to become part of your tribe yeah. like Seth Godin talks about mm-hmm. tribes all the time or part we say part of your family I'm so happy you're saying this because that was gonna be a follow-up question I had and you led right into it is the tribe but community and your dad is quoted as saying something along the lines I wrote it down um, that I think it was during one of your web series there was somebody that, that was I think up in Nova Scotia and there was no barbecue and he's like you need to create bar- a community a, a barbecue community your tribe what how do you create a tribe well, you can do it in many different ways. We started creating in here with that contest that became the tribe. Obviously, simultaneously or par- in a parallel world, it's my family created the tribe. My family created the want for this barbecue sauce over years and years and years. Um, my dad cooking for other people created people who wanted his barbecue, however they could get it, if they needed to have a party or an event. All these things are sort of on parallel tracks and then they merge. And again, no plan to do that, but everything he loved all came together into one big thing. I mean, just looking at your dad as an example and what you guys have done is just being a part of your community uh, and being at the forefront of it all. Like if you want to create a tribe around something, get out there, shout out from the rooftops, share your message, share your why. Find other people that have the same interests. You're only going to compound, right? You're only going to build that momentum over time. Um, regarding the past, like the first 10 years, you talked a lot about communication. You talked a lot about branding and getting the word out. What else? I mean, I know this is a, it's an old, not super old, 1985, an old brand. So not, and it's, you don't want it to change necessarily, right? But what are some of the other key elements as far as scale? that have really taken you guys to the next level? Because I know you do mail order, okay. you do consulting. What are Today, paint the big picture of everything that is involved. Right. Well, let me back up years. first, Please. though, because you asked me about those pivotal yeah, yeah. moments in our growth, and I left out a big one. In 1994, my dad also went to Las Vegas and opened some right. restaurants. And I don't talk about that too, too much, because I personally was really never involved in that, very peripherally. But... Somebody who had money wanted him, who had talent, to come and open these restaurants there. And that was uh, such an education and such a learning process. Um, I wish he were here to tell you more about that whole story because it's (laughs) kind of crazy. But they definitely did very well. But there were some really critical mistakes that were made from the very beginning. And the first one was the name of the place. Okay. So they called it Memphis Championship Barbecue. And at that time, they had just come off of winning all these Memphis in May. So they were you know, trying to bring that word Memphis in. Yeah. 
But it, that name means nothing. First of all, it's a terrible name. It doesn't roll off your tongue. Yeah. You don't say, I'm going to Memphis Championship Barbecue for lunch today. Memphis Champion Barbecue. People MCB? would start. They was, yeah, or they, they tried to do that, <laughs> yeah. like KFC, MCB. <laughs> yeah. uh, they would say, I'm going to Memphis. Well, Memphis, again, means nothing. And every single person would say, oh, you're from Memphis? Uh, yeah. no, no, we're not from Memphis. It denotes a cooking style and some yeah. contests we went. It was a very convoluted story. It was a story, but it wasn't a great story yeah. that you had to tell about that. So what would make a good name? What are some, do you know a device for like, what makes good names when naming a restaurant or is that just an example of a bad one? Well, that's an example of a bad one. And honestly, 17th street, it was 17th street bar and grill is not a great name either because now all of a sudden we're on 17th street. That works. We don't even have the word barbecue in there. So we are called 17th street barbecue now. And actually the reason I'm getting off track and we'll circle back to Las Vegas. But when we opened our second location in Marion, Illinois, in 2004, December 2004, the mayor of Marion is just, he was one of the longest running mayors in the country. He sadly died a few years ago, but he was the mayor for 50 years, some long, long period of time. And he was really instrumental in building that little town and that community. And he would call all the time and ask my dad to open a restaurant there. And my dad would say, we can't, we can't. It's 22 miles away, which yeah. sounds really close, but it's really like a different world. All these little towns have their own personality. But one day my dad jokingly said, I can't come over there. You don't have a 17th Street. Yeah. <laughs> and so the guy said, well, if that's all it will take, we'll build you one. So we are on the only numbered street in the town of Marion, 2700 17th Street. Oh, that's so funny. Right off the highway. No, he had to do it. <laughs> exactly. But but back to Las Vegas. Las Vegas is the only time that my dad has had a partner in this business. And he had two partners. And, and the partners changed at least once. That was not always a great experience. Um, obviously, it's a totally different world. Very high-flying world there. Talking about Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Yeah. Las Vegas in general. Just And then if you're not there you are being robbed blind if you are if you are not there running your business. And yeah. so even though there are these three partners, they all have other businesses too. They can't all be there all the time. The restaurants were very successful. At one time there were four of them and then it quickly winnowed back down to two. And for by the grace of God, we sold those businesses on December 31st, 2019. How lucky were we? Wow. But my one of the partners passed away. One of them was not in great health. And so the daughters and I got together and like, we need to divest yeah. ourselves of this yeah. because none of us can run this. We yeah. all have our hands full with other things. So they had a very good long run. And a, a huge lesson there, though, is that you need to be in a restaurant. You yeah. cannot not know what's happening it's very hard to own a restaurant from far away unless you have such a corporate structure that somebody is watching out yeah, for those or you have a, an operating partner who exactly. has skin in the game and you're like the investing partner or you're taking all of your knowledge of restaurants and you're helping that person become successful but they have skin in the game they are the op- like they right. they're treating it like they own it because they do right, right? um great lessons um 
so many different things we can talk about. So at what point, because at this point in the timeline, do you guys, your dad's sending things in the mail, but is it an official mail order or is he just being generous with sending things in the mail? At what point did that become like a, a significant part of your business? So mail order started after Peace, Love and Barbecue. Okay. And so that one, for the record, that was, Peace, Love and Barbecue was 2005. 2005. Yeah. And so I want to say maybe 2006 is when I started mail order and that was one of my projects so i set up a godaddy shopping cart and figured out how to do that (laughs) you know i did the photography i figured out how to load up the um products on there and you know how to run that business and 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 since then now we've had this evolution we're on our third shopping cart and we finally have cracked the code but there were probably many times when we did not do that well because we didn't calculate pr- the cost of things properly. Or- so, yeah, get, give us some details of things that people just don't consider when starting mail order that you wish you knew when you were getting started. Sure. You, mail order food costs much more than food in a restaurant because you have to charge for all the extra handling that it takes to get that food packaged and frozen properly. And you... And the packaging itself. The, and, right. Yeah. You have to think about the cost of every single piece of... Um, vacuum packing yeah. that goes into that. The refrigeration, where are you going to be keeping it? How much do those coolers cost in which you're mailing? The How many ice packs does it take to get there properly? What can be shipped one day versus two days? Can anything go longer? Do I even have access to dry ice? Yeah. No, we do not in Southern <laughs> Illinois. So yeah. everything can only be cooled with gel packs. There are so many, so many things about mail order. What in your mind is like the most important thing that if somebody is looking to do mail order, they have to take this into consideration. Well, you need to be sure that you are, you know, licensed and inspected and that you have a a proper process. process. No, but you also need to have a good shopping cart. Before we get into the shopping cart, because that is interesting. What you said, the the process of getting licensed and all that. Well, you have to have a HACCP plan. You have to have a, um, commercial kitchen and who do you write out like who do you get permission from the state do you just like yes. write so the code is finding a, a shopping cart that is very easy to navigate and this is one of the things that we thankfully did right before covid hit probably a year before i had switched our shopping cart to shopify okay and it was well designed beautiful photography it looked like our website. It looked like our brand. If someone landed on it, it looked like a legitimate shopping cart. Some of them don't look so good. Yeah. Sometimes people are not sizing their photos properly. Everything looks a little bit wonky. Yeah. You can tell a shopping cart that's been set up properly or one that has distorted photos. Um, there are lots of little tricks. Is are you it, outsourcing the photography for that too or are you doing that in-house? No. I... Probably one of our biggest investments over the past 10 years has been outside photography. So every event that we go to, I will hire a photographer to shoot the event. All of our on-cue classes, a photographer comes. Who's your photographer? Give him some love. Um, I have two fabulous photographers. I have Ken Goodman in New York, and I have Huge Galdones in Chicago. Beautiful. Thank and you. Huge has a fabulous assistant named Jack Lee. Okay. A little, a little love, love for, for them. Because I love, okay. love, love them. Yeah. And they have helped us develop a very um, rich and deep... Oh, and Jeremy Combs. Sorry, Jeremy. Um, a Canadian who was from Chicago. I met him on the set of a show I filmed called Firemasters. And he now lives in L.A. And he is amazing. An amazing photographer and 
um, digital creator. So I have three great photographers. Okay. So we, some of the elements we're talking about, you've used uh, Spotify. You've plugged that into your business. Uh, Shopify. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> that's okay. Did I say Spotify? You Shopify. did. That's okay. Shop- uh, Spotify is good too. It was too. close enough. It was close. <laughs> uh, so you use Shopify. Uh, you plug that into your website. Uh, you're outsourcing for, for photography. Uh, what are some of the elements that aren't as obvious so I'm also something. outsourcing for design. What do you mean by design? And a web design? So web design and living in Boston, I had a web designer from Boston. And he introduced me, I should say a website coder, like a developer. Yeah. And he introduced me to a woman named Meredith Paulus. And as a designer, he found her in the yellow pages. I don't know how he Googled. I don't know how he found her, but... I needed someone to help design-wise. We all came together to this meeting, and Meredith and I hit it off. She's now designed three websites for us because we do keep evolving. When I lived in Boston, she would come to my house once a month, and we would sit down and just pound out work. I would feed her photos. She would size them, put them into our blog. I'd go back and write. We would brainstorm newsletters and content, and I would, again, feed the photos. She would size them put them into the newsletter template, I would go back in and write. So we, and we still work together to this day. So she worked with a company called Nicely Built, um, whom I highly recommend. They are in Georgia and they are Shopify store designer and coder people. So Meredith designed what's called the skin. She designed the skin or the, uh, the The, look of our site and then would send it to them and they would go back and code so our site looks coding, like exactly. 17th Street. Well, they put in like the behind-the-scenes code so that it all works with Shopify. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. My follow-up question is: once you have your Shopify set up, looking pretty, uh, the photos are taken. How 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 are you connecting the the commerce side of things? So when you get an order from Shopify, does it push your POS? Is it a different? No. Like how does that it's all totally play different? Yeah, it does not. It does not play together okay so it collects money and you set up a, a merchant account a straight? And the, a straight merchant account and that goes right into your bank account x, x days a month okay uh, it you hook up with a ups account and so you're able to go in you click on an order it pulls up you see what this person wants it, you print out a shipping label. You choose the shipping. So if somebody orders something, do you get like a notification? Is it an email? Yes. Okay. You get an email and then there's an app for your phone. So Got it. I love the app sounds like a cash register. So I love it. It's like the sound of money. And I always know if we're on TV because it'll go off, it will go off a lot in a short period of time. <laughs> and then I'll know, oh, a show is airing right now. It's awesome. I love yes. That. That's great. So was that like the... The, one of the biggest projects you worked on after the book to like yes. get to where you are now. Yes. It so is. you also real quick zoom to 30,000 feet so we can see the big picture to date. You have the rest. You have the two restaurants, right? At um, one time we had four restaurants Four Seventeenth street Four Seventeenth street one and here, one in Marion. We had one in O'Fallon, Illinois, right outside of St. Louis. And we had one that we operated just a few days a week at the, in Sparta, Illinois, at the World Shooting and Recreational Complex. Okay. When did the um, one just outside of Missouri close down? We operated that restaurant for f- seven years. From? From? 2004-ish? 2000. Also, like, it opened right around the time of Marion. Okay. Right after. So, so let's say 2005. 2005 
to 2012. Can that be right? Okay, around that time. 2004 to 2011. So you had at one point four locations. You had the mail order. You have um, now you're doing. I know this is more recently. You're doing the the packaging, the the sauce factory where you're getting your. That's pr- very recent. That's very recent. What what else between you had the other book go out? Uh, thank the lard. Right. Praise the Pray, Lord. Sorry, why do I come saying think? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord did not come out until 2017. Okay. So I had a long period of time between books. What else did you guys do that was different? So we also started on Q Consulting. On Q Consulting. And that was in April of 2009. So you, so one of the things I, I, I noticed when you came on board, and it seems like you were a big part of this, is creating multiple channels of revenue. And I got to tip my hat to you. Your merchandise is really great, too. You have hats. You have shirts. You have multiple. You have all these different things. You started talking about that earlier. So you really started creating multiple channels of revenue. Yes. I think that was one of the things I really wanted to talk about today. I think, and you're giving us great detail on that. So what else do you want to talk about as far as all these elements we just mentioned? Okay. So the multiple channels of revenue are important, <laughs> but I will say... Um, now I'm thinking to myself, did I pull you off the, the subject of um, the mail order too soon? Is there No, well, from- well, I want okay, to say cool. a few more things about that. Because what I want to say about all of these channels of revenue is that the restaurant is still by far the biggest moneymaker. So everyone thinks like the mail order sounds so sexy and like such a big deal. But even at the height of the pandemic, when our mail order quadrupled a whole month of rest of online sales is like a decent restaurant day. Okay. So it's, it is not translatable. You are not making the kind of money that you are making in a restaurant. Yeah. So I would never want someone to think that I know that there are a few outstanding mail order companies who do make a million dollars. Ours is not one of those. It is, but it is a very important revenue stream. It's not something I want to give up. Have you guys ever thought about anything like, um, uh, gold belly? We are on gold belly. Okay. So we have two rep. We are gold belly, but we also have our own. Got it. So I'm being the mail order and then gold belly. We have our own Shopify shopping cart and we also sell on gold belly. I'm assuming you prefer your own because of the margins or is that not true? I prefer our own because I never want to not be in control of that. Uh, got it. So I love working with Gold Belly. I did have to um, work on the margins because when I really sat down and started looking at it, there were things I was losing $2 on every order that went out of such and such. Yeah. So you have to really look at all of those things. Got it. And so then I had to raise the price and say, this is what I have to have from this in order to make this worth our while. Beautiful. All right, so try to regain your train of thought before I keep on derailing you. What was the next thing you wanted to talk about? So that's the same with merchandise. Okay. We have all this great merchandise. It absolutely adds to the bottom line, but it is not like we're not making millions of dollars on T-shirts or on hats. Yeah. Everything works. Everything is an integral part of the brand or a piece. It's like everything is a little cog in the wheel, but you ha- we have to have all those things in order to do as well as we do. Got it. But my dad would always joke. He would say, why are we ordering all these T-shirts? You know, they, they are not flying out the door. Why do we need so many T-shirts? Um, and we have certainly made lots of mistakes in um, inventory. So what? give me some of, of those t-shirts. big mistakes. We would order too many. Yeah. Or people in different restaurants would give us an incorrect inventory. And then we would order more. And we would learn that we had boxes oh, of things. That it somebody, was behind the other thing. It was thing. behind yeah. the other thing. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we ordered things that 
we loved, but other people didn't love and they didn't sell. So yeah. we really have gotten it down to like some designs that are evergreen and people love and we keep reordering and selling over and over and over again. And every I, now and then. I know then, which one I'm taking home. You do. Yeah. Which one do you like? Established 1985. There you go. That's my birth year. Oh, well, there you go. go. You have to have that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a double whammy for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> but the the other thing about the about the mail order is figuring out the appropriate price. You obviously you have to know what the market will bear. There yeah. might be things that aren't worth you know, they would they would just cost way too much. So are you talking about mail order? Are you talking about the food or the the merch? I'm talking about the food. Okay. We do send all of the merch. But one of the important things that I have learned is that people will pay a lot of money for food, but they do not want to pay for shipping. Yeah. So a big uh, change that we made was that free shipping over $50, which then instantly that means all your food is free. But we have factored that price into the into the retail price. We're eating some of the cost of shipping and the customer is paying some of the cost of shipping. Okay. Because it's very, very expensive to ship overnight and it's only gone up. Or like, is there a sweet spot specifically that you can think of and share with us? A sweet spot. As far as like what to absorb and what to pay for to the guest. It's about half and half. Half and half. And there are times of the year, for example, in the summer, everything starts going overnight. So we bear a bigger portion of that. So of all the things we've mentioned that you helped be a part of the evolution here, uh, which is the one that you're most proud of that's had the biggest impact on the organization? Wow. That is a good question because I'm pretty proud of a lot of things, but I have to say probably the the books. Two or three. Well, I'm going to say the books and I'm going to say on cue because we're going to start talking about on cue. that's coming up, but let's get into the books. Okay, so because the books are... Now, a very tangible story. One, very much about the barbecue world and the people I love in the barbecue world. And then the other is really a love letter to our family and to our town. And it's my parallel journey along with my dad's journey or paralleling my dad's journey in the barbecue world. Okay. And those are just both really special And those are passive stories. Yes and no. So, Which part is yes? Which part is no? You never write a book unless you are um, John Grisham or Stephen Reichlin, who has sold millions of books. Uh, but books are not a moneymaker per se. The money you're going to make on a book is the books that you sell in your restaurant. Okay. So we were fortunate to get to be paid well to write our books. However, that becomes your money like you can't do anything else yeah and you have to pay for your photographer and the food there's many 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 expenses peace love and barbecue we traveled all over the country writing the books you have to pay for all of that travel travel. exactly you can easily go in the hole writing a book so you have to be very committed if you're doing that well yeah so we, t- we covered some of the things that are make that make it hard, but where the, is the benefit? Just the branding and like the 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 fact of having something that is your story that you yes. can share. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, I think we can transition to uh, your consulting now on Q. Okay. Uh, so what? When did this come into frame? So I would notice when I was here that people are traveling to Murfreesboro. They, they want to visit this barbecue shrine. They want to meet my dad. They want to sit at the foot of the master and ask all kinds of questions. They want to call me on the phone and ask me all kinds of questions. And my dad, again, generosity, yeah. will sit and talk to anybody all day long about barbecue 
to the detriment of our business. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I'm going to monetize this. Wait, we, what, which part of it was the detriment of your business? That everybody's doing the same exact barbecue or your dad's no, busy he's doing bi- other stuff? Exactly. Yeah. The, he, his attention, he's gone for just, a whole day yeah. talking to somebody or these people have just dropped in. Nobody ever called. And, you Nothing's know, getting done. Your dad's nothing talking is to somebody getting else. Done. Exactly. <laughs> So it was just, we needed to streamline that because honestly, you could talk to five people a day. Yeah. So you started taking these lessons that he was regurgitating daily and just said, okay, you said it once, we captured it, here's the recording or something like that. No, 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 not at all. So I said, we're going to monetize this. We're going to start these business of barbecue classes. So we created a two-day seminar. People would come in a small group, really 20, 25 people. I wanted them to be small to get lots of attention. Yeah. So I'm charging $1,000, and actually the price is going up on those. But you would come and learn. Um, initially, it was about here are the four main barbecue meats. Here's how we prep them. Here's how we cook them. We're pulling back the iron, cook, iron curtain and letting yeah. you see what Your we process. do at 17th Street. Yeah. We're not wanting you to go and do it our way, per se. We're just showing you a way that works. Yeah, our process. Our process. Uh, The beautiful thing about barbecue is that everybody has their own sauce and dry rub. Yeah. And even though we say our magic cooking number is 210, somebody else is going to say my magic number is 225. Yeah. Um, Our wood is apple. Somebody else uses oak. There are all kinds of things that make barbecue unique and different everywhere. So we were never afraid that someone would do what we're doing. You know, even when we help start Blue Smoke, we specced their barbecue pits. They use apple wood. They, for the first 15 years, used our sauce and magic dust. The ribs did not taste like ours. Yeah. They had every tool. So what was different about it? Soul? Different people cooking it. Yeah. It, it Like, your heart and soul translate to that meat. It's a very mystical process it sounds a little woo woo but you know barbecue has heart and soul baked into it i think you can taste that in all kinds of food you know when food has been cooked with love yeah. you, you just know and yeah. not that their food wasn't but it was different it was somebody else's soul yeah absolutely so the first day was the the how to of the the barbecue right what was day well two? both days you were cook, you're cooking barbecue because in the evening you're loading the pits with brits with briskets and pork butts because those have to cook overnight so then in the, the next day they got to see those things coming off yep. the pit but in between all of these cooking lessons we we're talking about branding marketing pr um, kind of catering sales we talk about hiring uh, firing we talk about financials about talk about food costs all kinds of little business lessons are woven into this so when a green barbecue joint comes here and they're looking to have the same success you had and you're talking about the business element of barbecue what are some of the the most important things that aren't common knowledge that you teach people to be profitable in this world specifically barbecue well to be profitable we talk a lot about food costs because I know that this is probably a question you're asking me later, but the number one mistake people are making in the restaurant world right now is that they do not know their true food cost. They don't know how much they might know how much their pork is per pound, but they're not factoring in the sticks of wood, the people it takes, how much the paper that you're wrapping it in. Exactly. Yeah. They're not figuring out every little bit. How much yeah. does it cost to run the building that you're in right yeah. now? How much of that is actual yield or how much of it is fat or exactly. bone that you're throwing away? Yeah, exactly. And even if, you know, I've uh, 
food service company can say, oh, you can figure that out. You can use our program yeah. because you bought your coleslaw, um, your cabbage from me. You can do that. But it's not that program isn't saying, well, I started out with six gallons, but now the cabbage has absorbed all this liquid and I really only have five gallons left. Yeah. So about, it's wrong from the get-go. What about this idea of selling out? I think some people are afraid to sell out and that hurts them. Do do you know what I'm saying? You mean sell like cook to sell out every day? Well, we do that. Yeah. And we didn't always do that. That's kind of a new thing in the past few years, but it has made our quality go way up and it says right on the menu until it's gone. Yeah. So we really only have an issue with locals (laughs) because they're used to being able to get what they want when they want it. And obviously, the pandemic has thrown everything into a tizzy. Our hours are different. Their days were closed. Th- things are just a little nuts right now. But I, I, we don't want those ribs tomorrow. So if you want them, you could call in advance and say, hey, you have ribs right now. But there's always going to be something to eat. We have a lot of food on our menu. Yeah. You just might not get that. Get the pork rinds. Exactly. You can get <laughs> the pork so rinds. You can get the turkey. You yeah. can get the chicken. You know, this week, we got no half chickens delivered. Okay. So we're, out, we're sold out of chickens this week because we didn't get any. The yeah. food uh, supply chain is really nuts. We can only get four cases of wings a week right now. Yeah, wings are just ridiculous. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. It is Everything is a little nutty right now. How do you feel about paying the price forward to the guest? In other words, do you think restaurants should be absorbing the increase in cost of wings right now? You can't afford to do that for yeah. a very long period I, of time. I think that's one thing we need to get better about. When and that's why our costing. wings are $12 in order right now. Yeah, and that, that should be the case. And if, and I think that people, we, we are afraid to charge what things are worth. And I think that's a big issue with the restaurant industry. It should be a, a science. It's, it's math. It's a percentage. And you should stick to those percentages. Those, the, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we have raised all of our prices. We raised our prices when we reopened after being closed for a few months last year. And we've had to raise them again. Our food costs have gone up 300% since January. Wow. And if you go to the grocery store, you notice that there too. My uncle owns this Dairy Queen across the street. His company, the Dairy Queen National Company, they tell them every six months, these are the items you're going to raise the price on. Yeah. And it's whether it's... You know, it's a formula. It's whether something went up or not. Yeah, it's the market value. They are raising, they are continually raising the price in incremental bits. If we were all better at that, we would not be caught unaware. So, for example, when we reopened last June, we didn't even put brisket on the menu because it had gone up so much, I didn't think people would pay for it. It went down a little bit. We put it on the menu. It's $20 a pound, or I think it's thirteen fifty a half pound. Yeah. Where do you source your your, so, your your pork from? Well, sorry. So now we reprinted our menus a few weeks ago. Our brisket is now twenty two dollars a pound because okay. it has gone up, and I we cannot we can't pay people well and keep up with our repairs and do all the things you need to do to run a good business without charging appropriately. Yeah. So are you sourcing locally? Is it like a local market, or where, where do you source from? No. So everything is sourced from a little bit of a different place. 
and we're really proud of the quality of the food that we serve. So our all of our beef is certified Angus beef. So our our brisket, our hamburger, our ribeye steaks, all certified Angus beef. The ribs come from a place in Chicago called Wichita Packing. They have farms where they contract in Iowa. They're all a Duroc cross rib, delicious, wonderful rib. Yeah. Cost a little bit more. Yeah. And they're baby back ribs, not St. Louis cut. Uh, our pork butts are something that are a little bit more commodity, but even commodity is a higher quality than yeah. it's not just any old place that we get them. Got it. Uh, we've covered a lot, and it's hard to believe we're already at an hour and tw- 15 minutes. Oh, my gosh. This is it goes by so fast. So I wanted to kind of open it up to you. Is there anything we haven't discussed yet? Or back to the consulting arm of things. Is there anything we haven't unpacked regarding well, that? Well, yeah. Yet? Let me just say a, a few more things about on cue. So since April of 2009, we have hosted over 1,400 people from 45 states and 16 countries who either want to be in the barbecue business are in the barbecue business, or even they're a legendary barbecue person themselves, but they are curious to know what goes on here because savvy people know you can go to a seminar, you could read a book, you could change one thing, get one idea, change one thing about your business and make hundreds of thousands of dollars or improve your business in some way. So every time I go to a seminar and I'm a big seminar junkie and lifelong learner, I'm always thinking what are the three things I'm going to go home and do? Like, what are the three best things I heard here? There's always something. Always, always, always something. So after doing the business of barbecue class, people want more. So we created a catering master class. So this now becomes all about catering. And you have to have come to the first class to go to the catering class because we don't have time to go back and someone says, how do you hold your ribs? Like, we already talked about that. We're deeper in now. And then we created this whole hog extravaganza. And I'm particularly proud of that because I really feel that the the way that hit um, really helped the resurgence of whole hog cooking in America. We used to turn away whole hog events. Like people would want a whole hog for their wedding. It is not an economical thing to cook for people. Even though you have this giant animal, you can get about 80 Out of a 170-pound pig, like we served right here today, you can get about 80 sandwiches out of that. How many pounds of meat would you yield? Well, 80 times 4 equals what? Uh, 16, 320 pounds? No. That wouldn't make sense. No. 80 times 4, and then divide that by 16. Okay. Because that's ounces. Like if sandwich is 4 ounces, I don't have a calculator right here with me. It doesn't matter. (laughs) That's the answer. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. Yeah. So, but it's a show and it's, I think it's important to let people know where your food comes from. And that's why we bring that hog right into our dining room every Sunday. So people can see it. It does not come from the styrofoam packaged piece of meat that you see in the grocery store. And we have photos of that, which we can B roll right now too. Exactly. And then the beautiful thing about whole hog cooking is that there are so many ways to do it. So we brought in always three or four other people to do their version of whole hog cooking. So people are cooking on cinder block pits, four or five different pits that we would pull up in the back of our place. People are using different wood, different seasoning, different sauces. So you could take this 15,000 mile trip right here in our building. That's cool. Has Patrick Martin been a part of this? Yes, he has. Yeah, he's past guest on the show. Yeah. 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 That's great. So 
fascinating. And then we add like a brisket component to that. So I we bring in three or four people who are known for their brisket and they are doing their brisket their way, their seasoning, their wood. And you're getting a taste of all these flavors. So and they're the, telling you how to do it from a business standpoint. So you have the business of barbecue, you have the catering, and then you have this event. This whole hog extravaganza. Whole hog extravaganza. And mm-hmm. I love this, this this mentality of just coming together, people who are trying to accomplish the same thing. There's always so much power in just coming together and sharing knowledge. And I can get behind that because that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to do with restaurants. Exactly. Network. It's just people who are on the same path coming together to support one another. And I don't know why sometimes people are so afraid to share knowledge and to, to, to help each other out. There's like, they're like, a, have you ever noticed that people are afraid to ask or like, well, I, I think that is actually a defining characteristic of the barbecue world is that we are very free with information. Yeah. And I have a coaster. It's not one of these two coasters, but my dad is very famous for looking out into a crowd of this on cue class once and saying, you know, the spaghetti people aren't getting together like this. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're not, there's not a spaghetti convention and they're all, right. They're all trying to tell what they do. But I think part of this comes from being so comfortable and confident in your own skin and your own world and processes and what you're doing that you're not afraid to tell someone else. Yeah. Because honestly, you know, what is that often imitated, ne- never duplicated? And the other thing, too, like it doesn't it's the heart and the soul. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you know, it's about how you execute uh, and the relationships you have. Right. So you can give away all the information. Can they execute like you? Can they show up? Can they give like you give? Can they, do they have that hospitality, that, that soul that we're talking about? Right. All that stuff is what makes it happen, right? Absolutely. Um, the only thing we haven't talked about that I have on my list of things I'm really curious about is your latest project, which is you, you took the building next door and you created a sauce factory, which, uh, get into that. Like what, oh, what, ins- what inspired you to, to, to pursue this opportunity? So we have always had our sauce co-packed and, it's very hard to find a sauce co-packer who's going to make your sauce exactly the way you make it and mm-hmm. you want it to taste. And I said, let's, I feel that we should get into this business and we could become a co-packer people like. I had no idea what that entailed. <laughs> and it entails a lot. And Do you still think it's a good idea? <laughs> I think it's a good idea. Good. <laughs> um, I, we have not taken on any clients. We're still in the registration process. Yeah. We just finished it. That was an, it yet another beautiful. pandemic blessing yeah. is that our contractor had time to work on that. And we, we did have a contractor who quit. We've, we've had a lot of um, obstacles along the journey of getting this building built. But one thing that was very important to us was, again, revitalizing our downtown and helping with this revitalization. So we built a building that bought a building that was falling apart. The front part of this building is going to be a coffee shop and we're starting construction on that. I would say within a month, but it would have, we would have been farther along had we just built a pole barn somewhere and threw, a, threw this business together. But instead, we are really investing in our town and in our community. Yeah, continuing that legacy from your father. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, you know, I'm really glad that he was able to see a lot of this. You know, he wasn't able to see it finished, yeah. but so close to being finished. Yeah. And he was super, super proud of I'm it. I'm sure he's proud of you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and these are his, you know, these are his sauces that we are that Getting we are developing yeah. exactly. So I think a lot of people want to put their their um, intellectual property, their ingredients, their recipes 
into a bottle and sell it. What advice do you have for people that are looking to do that? So before you do that, you need to be sure you have a market for it. Okay. How do you know? Well, you have to have people or contracts or people who are selling it. Obviously, if you have a restaurant, you have one outlet for that already. And that's sort of how we started. We have our sauce available here. The local Kroger wanted it. The local Schnucks wanted it. You know, 50 little grocery stores in our region wanted it. Yeah. And we did that for a long, long time. So there's a demand. Exactly. There has yeah. to be a demand because you you will have to purchase a certain amount. And I've talked to many people who say, oh my gosh, I have four pallets of sauce delivered. How, how much? Can you help me figure out how to sell it? Yeah. You needed to figure out how you were going to sell it before you ordered the so four you, pallets yeah. of sauce. So you need to have a, a home for it before you even get exactly. it. Exactly. So you're just kind of tra- transferring it over. Exactly. Right? Okay. So exactly. that's a huge lesson. And you need to know as you're developing your sauce, depending on where you will co-pack it, this was a big lesson we learned. For example, let's say you use Hunt's ketchup. That co-packer is not going to use Hunt's ketchup. They're going to say, here's my recipe for Hunt's ketchup. Yeah. And then the whole thing is going to devolve from there. So if you use the, every branded item you use, they will not be able... Is it a they legal will, thing? No, it's, it's a cost thing. Okay. So you coming to a place like us to co-pack will mean that you will be able to use your branded products that you will most likely if we don't already have them you would provide them to us but that means your cost per bottle will be more so can you sell it for more but why wouldn't the co-packer just forward the cost to you that's just not how they work okay it's just some probably some smaller ones might do that but uh, the big people do not do that got it just because they want to keep process operational like the stream probably yeah okay uh what else did you learn that that was a big lesson as far as I mean, these are great lessons, but is there, is there anything else? Oh, lots of lessons in um, in branding and design. And obviously that is something that's near and dear to me and we didn't really yeah. talk about in everything that I've done for the company. But what I did do was come in and brand everything. Okay. There might have been eight different looking signs or typefaces or all kinds of things yeah. that weren't very cohesive and I made it all cohesive. I love that. So what you're saying is that your your letters, have to, the print has to be the same, the color has to be the same and what, before you got here it was kind of just like all over the place. Whatever, right. Whoever got on the computer that day to create the ad would have used whatever they felt like doing. Right. Here's a sign on the door in Comic Sans yeah, so and why, that is like <laughs> fingernails on a chalkboard to me. So, so why is it so important to have it be a cohesive and the same throughout? It's important subliminally, and it's one of those things that you don't know necessarily. When you see great design, you don't always look. I do, but yeah. most people don't say, oh, my God, that's the best design I ever saw. But they, they, it, it's elevated in their minds. Like It's either elevates your brand, it makes you memorable, it, there's some subliminal message that's being given. But what you do notice is bad design. Yeah, That's what you notice. So it's... It's, it's just like table manners. You don't necessarily notice impeccable manners, but if someone is slurping and smacking, you can't look away. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of these subliminal things that you're aware of that you've worked into your design that you can share with my listeners? Sure. Uh, you want your design to look like you and to be um, emblematic and representative of what you are trying to achieve as a company. So obviously we're a barbecue place, which is probably a little more masculine or... Yeah type is kind of chunky it's not like thin cursive writing Um, it's always very consistent 
it has evolved because other people copy it. And then yeah. when too many people start looking like you, you have to start looking like something else. <laughs> yeah. uh, fortunately, I've had two books and two book designers who have sort of helped me segue. And I also have a great design firm. I have to give them a shout out, Arthur Agency in Carbondale, Illinois. Okay. I used to do all the graphic work because that was part of my other world, but I could not keep yeah. doing all of that. Like you have to find those trusted professionals around you and you can say, I need, you know, five posters tomorrow or I need a new design for a t-shirt and here's an idea I have, but what do you have? Because yeah. you're going to get better ideas. Yeah. What are your colors? People. So our colors are um, bright colors, orange, red. Right now, uh, the background of everything we have is black. The colors are mostly orange, but then obviously each flavor of barbecue sauce, for example, there's orange, red, yellow, um, a different orange. Do you know what these colors mean as far as what you want them to mean subliminally? Well, <laughs> red is definitely an appetite yeah. um, thing. You know, when I first got here, and you can see these tables are this dark green. The color was dark green. Okay. So we still have these tables. It's not like we're changing everything in our restaurant. Like, yeah. oh, we have a new logo or a new color. Uh, but you will notice, for example, um, the shirts that we have up on the wall right now, they are mostly gray and black. Mm -hmm. Those are the shirts that sell. But when we go to an event, we almost always wear a color. And that's how we look. We look like... I like the green one. We're colorful, cheerful people over I already, there. I already spotted it. Okay. Yeah, I know what I'm going That's for. our sale rack, so you can get one of those. <laughs> nice. um, I have a great example in one of my branding seminars, and I show a picture of my dad with John Stage. And here's my dad in an orange shirt with um, one of his colorful vests, and he just looks colorful. And then here's John Stage in a black shirt and a leather jacket and looking like mo more motorcyclish, and that's what their brand is. It's it's brown, it's black, it's dark green. Yeah. And we are brighter, bolder colors. And their brand works great. Like you would think that was weird if you saw him in a pink shirt. Yeah. Um, but yet my dad could wear. He has worn a salmon colored <laughs> shirt. It wasn't quite pink, but I love salmon amendment. I, I think it's great. Uh, is there anything we have not discussed up to this point that you want to get out of, that you're chomping at the bit to talk about? Oh my about? gosh, I feel that we have you have delved deep. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. Um, you've been a great guest. We ask all of our guests before we say goodbye. Uh, what's I mean, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So, how have you transformed personally from twenty? To the year 2000, getting really involved in the family business to today, how have you transformed? My biggest personal transformation is that I have become cheerfully flexible. Mm. And there was a, a day that that really happened. And I'm pretty high strung, wired pretty tight. I like things. I have an idea. I like it to be executed. I like things to Type look. A. I like it all to be a certain way. Yeah. And it doesn't always go that way. And I sometimes get very upset when it does not go that way. And I just was having a conversation with the person who helped teach me this lesson two days ago. But during one of my on cue classes, I very much had 20 people per class. And if you didn't sign up, you would get bumped to the next class because just because. Yeah. And because that's what I wanted, 20 yeah. people. I wanted it to go like this. And then I always wanted that overflow knowing that my next class already exactly. had a start prime the engine right? so before on cue we would often do a little class at old hickory pits in cape Girardeau, which is about an hour from here 
And it would just be an afternoon class the day before. And sometimes people would sign up for both of those classes and spend the night and come on over to Murfreesboro the next day. But there was a gentleman um, who's become a dear friend named John Holslander, Gator John's Barbecue in Florida. And he came to the Old Hickory class and wanted to come to this one. And I told him no. He would have to come back to the next one that we had in the fall because this one was full. And he was crushed. And he said, what do you, what do you mean? And my dad is saying, let that man come to the class. And I said, nope. He didn't, he didn't think it was worth signing up for. He could come to the next one. Yeah. You know, he, didn't sign, he didn't sign up fast enough. And he said, you know, well, I'm spending the night here. Somebody doesn't come. Will you call me? And on the way home, my dad said, call him. What, what, is, like, what is your yeah. issue with this? And like, you need to let him come to this class. And even in the classes, I'm used to running seminars that go like clockwork. Here's my schedule. Here's what's going to happen. And every single class, I would end up in tears because we would get really off schedule. Cooking took longer or less time. People asked many more questions. It just things did not go yeah. like a business seminar that I was used to giving. And yeah. I had to learn to operate on restaurant time and not. And I would also have people in the class, and I purposely did not give a an agenda because we couldn't stick to it. And people, when I did give an agenda, got upset if we ran over or if something didn't happen. Yeah. So I learned very quickly not to do that. But I called John Halslander and said, of course you can come to this class. I'm- so I feel like the lesson is that it's okay to – the world isn't going to be exactly how you want it every time. And yet there's a little bit of a give and take, almost like a Buddhist approach. If it's like this, and I can't change that this is what it is right now, so I might as well not get stressed out over it. Right. I love it. And he has become such a good friend. He has been – you know, travels to the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party and helps us. He comes to Chicago and helps us. He's on our Memphis and May team. Like we, he is one of us now. Yeah. And that would not have happened had I not said, "Please come to this class." Yeah. I'm being silly. We should give an opportunity, and we'll get, there'll be another opportunity at the end as well. But if we are interested in this class, uh, how do we find it? If you go to our website, to the click on the on cue tab, scroll down to the middle of the page, there is a separate mailing list for on queue it's not putting you on our 17th street list it's a very specific on queue list um if i put you on it will most likely go in your spam so you I'm really on the need list I, I subscribe today and you need to opt in i did you have to opt I in the email because i can <laughs> i can see how many of those emails get delivered and not enough get delivered but i want if i could just say one more thing about yeah. that cheerfully flexible lesson if there was ever a time i needed to be cheerfully flexible it was during this pandemic yeah. year and I owe, I feel we owe much of our success during this year to the fact that we became very nimble. We could pivot. We could see if something worked or did not work. We did not get up. Obviously, we were upset. Everyone was upset. Yeah. But we learned to roll with it. Yeah. And we just did the best we could do on any given day. We did that, not. That driving through must have been a blessing. It was a blessing. Yeah, sorry that I cut you short. That's okay. No, it was a blessing. That's when we put up, let's, maybe we should put up a menu. Yeah. What a novel idea that people could see what <laughs> yeah. we have to offer for yeah. you. Um, I know that you didn't ask me this question. Well, you did about Shopify, but the other really important thing a year prior also is that we had switched to Toast. Okay. Our, we used to be Aloha people, then we switched our POS to Toast. And if you have multiple operations, that lets you compare across operations with Aloha 
they were very vertical. Okay. You could not, and they were all, they looked different. The report looked different because we set them up at different times. So uh. you couldn't say like, how many barbecue sandwiches did I sell? And just read lines across yeah. and do co- any kind of comparison. But that also let us instantly click on online ordering. We never did that before. Yep. Um, we bought some handheld machines so that we could walk out to people's cars and take their credit cards. Like all these little pieces of technology that we were able to implement and just turn on a dime yep. were hugely important. Yeah, that, that is huge. I mean, you have to evolve with the time right now. It's getting to the point where it's expected, where people, when they're like, I'm hungry, the, the next series of events isn't get in my car and go to the restaurant. It's pick up my phone and place an order. Right. You know, and you don't need an app today, too. I think that's a lot of people think you need an app. If you have a solid website and you have that website integrate with Toast, you can order straight through your POS and it goes right into your website. And Toast has an app, too. Yeah. So and and the Toast app will show you anybody in the area who's using Toast. You're like, oh, look, I didn't even know all these people are right here at my fingertips. Awesome stuff. I've loved this conversation Thank you so much, Amy. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust bust out a true speed round. A lot of people are talking about Restaurant 365, and that's probably because they are the only cloud-based, all-in-one restaurant management software with restaurant-specific accounting, inventory, scheduling, and payroll plus HR. Restaurant 365 is perfect for the multi-location restaurant business. Their customers have seen 5% decrease in food and beverage costs because they have access to more actionable data. Restaurant 365 is the king of integrations with over 90 integrations with the POS, including hundreds of vendors and thousands of banks. So you have a truly connected system. No more managing out of multiple systems. Lastly, Restaurant 365 empowers your management team with real-time P&L with access to check-level detail, which means no more waiting on your accounting teams for P&Ls weeks later. And it gets even better because with Restaurant 365, you can save time and money. You save time with things like automated invoice management and accounts payable and a slew of other systems for administrative tasks. You save money with powerful labor forecasting so you can see labor trends and make adjustments and restaurant 365 allows you to track actual versus theoretical costs to ensure you're not losing any margins due to waste or error interested in franchising restaurant 365 has tools for that too. head over to restaurant 365.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners you will save 50 percent off your first month subscription Again, that's restaurant365.com slash unstoppable. Who wants to be more efficient and cleaner? Everyone. So streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness and also kills SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19 in 15 seconds, and norovirus, the flu, and common cold viruses in 30 seconds, helping you reduce risk, simplify your procedures, and help protect your team, your guest, 
and your reputation with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Visit Ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. We are back and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. I'm cheerfully flexible. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is that I hold grudges. Okay. Uh, What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're trying to grow your team? When I'm trying to grow my team, I'm looking for the servant heart. I'm looking for the giver, not the taker. And so I'm trying to figure out if that person has that quality. I love it. And what, how do you know, how do, what questions do you ask to find out they have that quality? Well, I ask them right out or right off the bat sometimes, but I'm, I really am wanting to know how ruffled they will be when they are mistreated in a restaurant setting. How, how will they recover when dealing with an unhappy guest? Got it. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? My biggest challenge today is recovering from the pandemic. And how are you dealing with it? So we are still, um, we're short on help. So we've closed two days a week because we have this awesome staff, but we need to give them a few days off. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody was getting a day off. So we're pulling back and we're sacrificing because we need to keep the team happy. So we are trying to staff up. We are constantly looking at our food costs so that we can make sure that we are uh, priced appropriately so that we can stay in business and not go any deeper in the hole than the pandemic has put us. Um, Have you made cutbacks on your offerings to help out? We went from a two-page menu to a one-page menu. Everything is a la carte and sold by the pound versus here is a sandwich and two sides. Yeah, what is that? the benefit of that? The benefit of that is much less waste because mm-hmm. it would kill me to see food thrown away because, of course, if your sandwich comes with a side yeah. or two sides, you're going to get the side. Yeah. And it really allows, it allows people to have a better choice. They can really design their meal. But also, nobody can ever say that you have a skimpy portion because it's by the pound. They ordered it by the pound. Yeah. So, <laughs> right? And our, you know, our sides are four to five ounces they're supposed to be a serving we're not trying to give you leftovers or food to take home we are giving you an amount of food that we feel is an appropriate amount for a meal in this moment exactly for the next week yeah exactly share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team this is a core value a way to be a way to act um a core value or a way to act is all for the team Mm, i love that um what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your businesses to go above and beyond, but not common throughout the industry. I'm not sure if, if this is taught beyond or not, but critical to us is the greeting and the goodbye. Yes. So we want you to be greeted when people walk in the door. Even if you're busy, you're going to walk up and look up and say, just a moment, be with you in a moment. Um, Just being seen. Exactly. Making people feel seen and making people feel welcome and making people feel thanked. I love it. So they may be thanked four times on the way out the door. That's great. And what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? 
One of my very favorite books is This is Marketing by Seth Godin. Yes. And I'm a big fan of Atomic Habits because really every single thing you do is a series of habits. Awesome. Great books. Both those books are on Audible. Uh, If you head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable, you can get your first book on me. If you're not already listening to Audible, do you listen to audiobooks? I do. It's a game changer. Constantly. Absolutely. It's literally changed my life. It's it's huge. I'm telling you, if you have – if these words have come out of your mouth – I don't have time to read, then you need to check out audiobooks because Absolutely. It, it's it's a just an incredible resource. It's so easy to absorb knowledge. Uh, name one service you've hired or outsourced. You've already mentioned a few today. Oh gosh, I do outsource to a, a great team of professionals, and I consider them my core um, advisory board yeah. slash team. So I have Robin Inslee at Robin Inslee Public Relations, who's a fabulous publicist. Meredith Paulus. Um, outside of Boston, who does our newsletters and web design, and Arthur Agency in Carbondale, Illinois, does our graphic design. What is one technology you've recently adopted within your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, profitability, efficiency, anything along those lines? I will go back to Toast for that. And along with Toast, we use seven shifts for scheduling, and those are compatible programs. And what is the the biggest impact these have had? I mean, you already kind of went into Toast a little bit and how that's helped, but were you using labor management before? No. So our schedules were all done on paper. We would take a picture of them and post them on Facebook or text them to people. That's kind of crazy, right? right? And that was as long as three or four years ago we were doing that. But when we started with Toast, we did implement seven shifts so people can very easily access their schedule. They can give up shifts. They can trade shifts. Trade shifts. Yep. They can do all these things with the proper permissions, yep. of course. But that also allows us to message people. And we have different um, set, setups, sort of like Slack, yep. but it's all within one app. We don't have to have a separate app for that. We have, can send out one message. Have you seen a difference in labor cost or just communication or like what? How has this impacted your business? Because it's a new change. Have you? Is there a before and after? Like clear as day, or no? It's hard to say because I'm not the person who did that. Got it. So I I don't know that I can really speak to that. But I do think it's more streamlined. I I do know that we can go back and say who was working on this day yeah. and what happened. Yeah. And very quickly, you can go back and access that. You're yeah. not rifling through a file folder of yeah. handwritten pages. And there's accountability, too. Exactly. Because there's no excuse. You have this printed. There's an app. There's a website. Like There's a million different things you can do to access it, to access it I'm pretty sure. Plus, there's push notifications. You're getting text messages alerting exactly. you. Like There's no excuse. There's accountability. But it correlates with Toast. So all of your login, yeah. you know, your clock-ins yeah. are all... There's symmetry. Yeah, I don't know yeah. the word. What, what's uh, the word? Synchronization. Synchronization. Yeah. There you go. Synchronization. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. For sure. Or, yeah, I think that's what the, there's another uh, integration. All right. This is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the w- memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? My three pieces of wisdom are barbecue is a culture, not a concept. One. Okay. Um, shining a light on your community and your region, it will, you will reap multiple rewards. It's the right thing yeah. to do. Two. And creating a legacy 
uh, and loyalty within a group of people and within a community is golden. I love it. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Amy. Wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who do you respect and admire and believe and make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Oh, fabulous. Thank you for asking. I have so many wonderful friends in this industry and I actually have three people. Please. You can edit it out if you want. <laughs> no, but, please drop them on us. Um, I am a huge, I have so many barbecue friends. It's really hard for me to narrow them down, but I have two who are awesome who I think would be great guests. One is Barry Sorkin at Smoke in Chicago, S-M-O-Q-U-E. The other is John Lewis at Lewis Barbecue in Charleston. And a a little bit out of my industry, but still within the industry, obviously, are my biscuit friends. I'm a huge fan of Carl Worley at Biscuit Love in Nashville and Carrie Morey of Callie's Hot Little Biscuits in Charleston, and she also has outposts in Atlanta and Charlotte. That was Carrie? Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, new word, M-O-R-E-Y. Beautiful. Look out. I'm coming after you. That was uh, John. Uh, we had wait, we, we had Barry, John, uh, Carrie, and Biscuit Love. I forgot. Carl. I Carl. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect with you? If we really enjoyed listening to you today, uh, we have follow-up questions, or maybe we're interested in coming to join you at uh, Q. On, on Q. Q. What's the best way to connect? Um, the best way you can... Um, follow us on Instagram, 17th Street BBQ, or email me, amy at 17bbq.com. And on our website, you can sign up for either mailing list, whether it's 17th Street or on Q. Uh, Amy, just thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, to share your father's story, to share the legacy. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much. What an honor and pleasure to have you here at 17th Street. And I can't wait to feed you some barbecue. I can't wait to eat some barbecue. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, All right. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys all enjoyed today's conversation with Amy Mills. And if you did enjoy this conversation and you wish you could have the opportunity to speak with Amy Mills and ask questions and reflect in today's episode. Well, guess what? You can because Amy is joining us live in the network on Friday, July 9th at 12 p.m. to just be there for you to, to answer your questions and to reflect on what we t- discussed in today's episode. Uh, so Here's what you got to do. Head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com. Become a member of the network and be a part of the conversation. And uh, we also have today, as a matter of fact, as you're listening to this, if you are able to catch it in time, uh, our first book club of the network is going to happen today at noon, Monday, July 5th, where you're going to be discussing Atomic Habits. So if you've already read that book and that book is on your radar, it's not too late. We're we're probably going to spend a few months per book. That's kind of the discussion right now. If you were looking to make changes in your life. It all starts with working on yourself. It all starts with getting into routine and developing habits. And that's what we're going to be discussing in this book club. So if if that sounds interesting to you, again, head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com, RSVP to the live peer mentoring with Amy Mills and make sure you get over in uh, RSVP to the book club that's happening today at 12 p.m. And then in the future, what's on the horizon is 
a lot more content around strategy, business planning, uh, getting loans. That, that's what I have on the docket for content going into uh, August and September. So come at me with your questions specifically around business planning and loans. And we can really try to tailor the content going into the future to meet your specific needs. And uh, again, that's what the network's about is for me to, to open up a dialogue with you, my listeners and to create content together going into the future uh, and for you to connect with my guests. So if that sounds interesting, again, head over to restaurant, unstoppable network.com.